Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Calling Tau City. Turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm moving, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. I'm pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 500, I think he said 500, 544. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Happy 4th of July, everyone. Yes, happy 4th of July. I hope all my friends across the pond there are having a fantastic time as I sit and record this show. I'll tell you what's coming in today's show. First up is the main fiction. Fiction, yeah, fiction. It's a new style we're doing on this show. It is by T. Fox Dunham, and it is entitled Sick Leave, narrated by Brian Rowlands. Then... We have our very own Amy H. Sturgis. We're looking back at genre fiction. Well, I am thrown in with my bees now. It's, oh, it's so much of a learning curve. But listen, I just want to try and get away because it's such a I'm worried sick man. I've got about 10,000 girls. It's just, oh, I'm pitter pat on my heart. So. It was the end of the month last week. We have took a tumble on Patreon. We are now down to, last week, we were standing at 418. We are now 412. So, two things. All Patreon supporters, check to see if you know if your, your, your little subs, subscription has went through. That would be fantastic. And if it hasn't, just renew it, because that's all it is. It's like the card details go, you know, you're out of date or, you know, something like that. So please, you know, do that. And if you could, anybody else, you know what I mean? Don't, don't like it. You certainly do notice it when it's a big kind of fall, a big tumble like that. So please... 
help support we we have yes we we still have a couple that have you know been and and helped we're on patreon which is fantastic they are big thank you to nathan hannah nathan thank you so much oh, thank you for in this time of need and Asger Sporings, is that, is that Asger, is that right? Asger, I'm sure it is. That's a, such a cool name. Asger, thank you so much indeed. So, hey, listen, what can I say? Thank you. Like, in this time of need, please. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Anyway, the, let's let's move on there. The main fiction is Sick Leave by T. Fox Dunham. This story is an original to Starship Sova. Thank you very much. T. Fox Dunham lives in Philadelphia with his wife, Alison. He is a lymphoma survivor, cancer patient, modern bard and historian. His first book, The Street Martyr, was published by Gutter Books. A major motion picture based on the book is being produced by Thoughtline Films. Destroying the tangible illusion of reality or Searching for Andy Kaufman, a book about what it's like to be dying of cancer, was recently released from Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing, and Fox has a story in the Stargate anthology Points of Origin from MGM and the Fandemonium books. Fox is an active member of Horror Writers Association. He has had published hundreds of short stories and articles. He is the host creator of What Are You Afraid Of? Horror and Paranormal Show, a popular horror program on PARX Radio. His motto is Wrecking Civilization One Story at a Time. This story is narrated by Brian Rollins. Brian was born in California and grew up and around the western US. He currently resides in the Highlands Ranch, CO, where he works as a voice artist, primarily focused on audiobooks. He's probably best known for the voice of Glenn and Tyler series of audiobooks written by J.B. Sanders. You can hire Brian to read your next audiobook, and there's a link there to go straight there. So... The Starship Sova is very proud to present Sick Leave Written by T. Fox Dunham Read for you by Brian Rollins A shell detonated near the track, almost knocking the carriage off the maglev rail. The train rocked in the blast of anti-protons, jolting the soldiers inside. Magnus Nine sighed, relieved, finally coming home. Nine times wounded, Nine times returned to war. He'd missed the explosions, the Cleo fire, the rush of battle. Stuck in the medical bay, he'd grown anxious away from the constant engagement of war to keep him focused. His mind had wandered, recalling darker times in civilian life, though the memories had never cut so badly. Now returning, he struggled with disparate shards distracting him, undermining his attention. He had to get clear before battle, or his lapse in focus would get his unit killed. Don't let them take you. Memories of carnage never disturbed Magnus Nine, yet the visions of his suffering wife disturbed the mental balance. Worse, only pieces, vague recollections seeped through the walls of discipline, haunting him. Please, don't take my husband from me, Sarah sobbed. That was her name. Sarah. He remembered City Guard holding her back. He'd struggled to get to her. 
Her screams raked through his soul, then turned to echoes bouncing off the walls of his helmet. He buried the memories, but little things kept reminding him. Through the carriage vents, Magnus watched flares burn the gloaming sky, lighting the distant and dead landscape. The explosions flashed from the gorge six clicks to the north. Battle roared, voracious and ravenous, growling in the distance, and over the symphony sung the ethereal scream of reapers. The invaders screamed in rage. His wife screamed in terror, helpless. He bounced between both worlds, lost in the inchoate mesh. Why couldn't he remember what had happened to her? Another stray shell hit the permafrost beside the train, and the flare overloaded his visor. The optic display distorted, then died. He resisted the urge to peel off his helmet, but General Order 1 forbade, Never remove your armor. When Magnus joined Earthguard, they trapped him in his suit, and during his many years protecting the surviving cities, he'd never seen the true faces of his comrades, nor his own. He rebooted his optics driver. Current stung his eyes as the signal pricked his frontal lobe, restoring the sight of desolate earth. He ran a diagnostic on his sensors, searching for any malfunction that created a feedback loop. During the last op on Silver Blood Gorge, a dying reaper cracked his helmet. Could a malfunction in the synergy of his tech biosystems explain the visions? This shite fracked with your head, and no matter what command said, the science unit didn't understand the technology. Perhaps the medical technicians missed something before clearing him. He always felt like the doctors were keeping something from him. Yet he also shared blame for the confusion. Magnus held on to some of the memories, seeking their comfort and creating chaos in his mind. At times, he even lost his sense of time and place. Sarah's warm breath caused the hairs on his neck to stand up and chills to rush down his back. Find me, my love. Don't let them take you from me. The transport stopped. Move it, maggots, ordered the supervising officer. Magnus's mind cleared, ripped back to the present. Pressure hissed and the portal opened, revealing a dull and sterile landscape gutted by craters. His slot released him, and he filed out of the carriage into camp marching straight to the mission briefing at 10th Battalion HQ. He entered the modular structure and took his place in the ranks. Commander Rex-12 stepped through the tactical hologram, a high ridge rising over a dried riverbed that engraved the land like carvings on a tombstone. Commander Rex pointed at the map with a swagger stick. Commands ordered us on a retrieval mission back to Silverblood Gorge. More grave-digging duty, grumbled a soldier next to him. Mute your masks, Marines, ordered Rex-12. You know general orders. We don't leave the enemy a single cell they can harvest. Most of us are still here because of retrieval detail. So quit your bitching and listen. The ranks snapped silent. Now, this is your basic jolt and bolt. Get the three EVP units in place and drop those alien bastards. Magnus didn't pay attention to the intricacies of the battle plan. His mind wandered back to Sarah, and he couldn't get over the feeling that she was hurt, in danger. He needed to calm himself, to commit to this moment, and needed something to relax. He leaned over to the corporal next to him and said, Hey, mate, got a nick patch? 
The soldier reached into his pack and handed Magnus a white patch. Magnus stuck it into his ventilator. He tasted rich, smoky flavor, and the nicotine calmed him. Thanks, Corporal. Magnus checked the insignia on the beaten armor. Joshua, 40. Shite. 40? No wonder the grunt didn't talk. The soldier had already rotated through sick leave 40 times. After that amount of flesh burned, they usually didn't have any social skills left, and you had to watch them in battle. They got twitchy and would just pop like a faulty Cleo. You know the routine, Commander Rex continued, summing up the briefing. Three of us go Johnny Appleseed. Three Marines cover them and protect their cargo. All three EVPs to be activated in the right pattern or we frack this. The rest of you will keep at the enemy's right flank until we plant the apples. Once the EVPs go ripe, grab the casualties. Command estimates 13 beacons still singing in the field. So we are coming back with 13. Don't get hurt out there. I don't feel like leading another one of these tomorrow to save your sorry ass. You know what they'll do if they harvest you. Spare parts. Scuttlebutt was the machines kept you alive while they reassigned your components, and you felt every bit. Trapped in their technology with no free will, the soulless machines had no empathy and had to be utterly obliterated. Secure helmets, Rex ordered. Aye, Magnus checked his mask. Suit diagnostic. He ran scans on his armor, checking for breaches, monitoring the environmental systems. Fire up your Cleos. He secured the connection to his intelligent weapon, the beautiful nymph named for the ancient Greek muse. Every Cleo bonded to her client, creating a unique connection. An azure mesh spun webs over the barrel, connecting the weapon's mind to the soldiers. She remembered his movements and fighting style making multiple adjustments to weapon and mech performance to enhance his reaction time. She anticipated his actions before he even made them, learning each Marine's individual style. And don't forget, hands off your Hail Mary. Save the juice until you have no other choice. That crap can severely damage you. And that's the last advantage we have, your last line of defense. Now give me a yes, sir. Yes, sir. Glad you dumb mutts can understand something. Yes, sir. Stick to the plan. Monitor your visor for tactical changes. Remember, the enemy can adapt and communicate changes in strategy in an instant. Be fluid. Deploy. In a nanosecond, their orders broadcast over their visors. Magnus 9, you're with me, Rex said. We got Apple 1. The unit loaded up into heavy transports. The track spun, digging into the frozen earth and lurched forward. His squad cheered over their transceivers and electricity buzzed through Magnus's body. His heart pounded, rushing blood through his ears, yet his hands shook. Rex checked him over. His suit had probably warned his commander of changes in body chemistry. You up for this? Rex asked. You just got off sick leave. Don't want you to glitch on me. Magnus had served with Rex since he'd first been assigned years ago, and had grown to trust him. The commander played rough, even liked to be an ass, but he took care of his unit. I can't get her out of my head, sir. Magnus said, Your left hand? Rex asked, laughing. She wore her hair long on one side. She wore her hair long on one side. And a fabric blue flower above her ear. He said to Rex. Magnus didn't understand why he told him that. The image crystallized. A face frozen in the ice of a pond. He served to protect her, keep her safe in the settlement. You dream about her on sick leave? Some little thing to keep you warm in the cot at night? 
My wife. Magnus said, Who? Rex asked. Damn, Sergeant, you get married on sick leave? A nurse? The proximity alert squawked. Platoon! Rex yelled, silencing the rowdy crowd. Cool your asses and pray to your gods. The armored transports stopped about four clicks out from camp, just on the outside of the Reaper's detection grid. The armadillos hissed and wrenched their jaws, spitting out the soldiers. So, you're up for this? You're not fracking with me, are you, Marine? Rex asked. Look at me, Magnus said, not sure himself. Don't I have an honest face? Right. The Marines marched in quick time out the back and queued up by the numbers in front of a burned-out church. Tex unloaded the EVP devices and uploaded the specs of the Apple to Magnus and his commander. Rex strapped the device to the back of his suit and Magnus primed its trigger. Remember, Rex said, we have to strategically place all three to blanket the battlefield with an electromagnetic pulse. If one of these alien bastards survives, they'll reactivate their brethren. Magnus's visor displayed their grid reference, a collapsed bridge that once crossed the gorge. Enemy combatants registered on his scanner, approaching their position, and his suit powered up defense mode. Magnus took point, guarding his cargo. They crossed the desolate terrain, running parallel along a chain of broken power lines. Magnus scanned the horizon, searching for the enemy. Bubbly masses penetrated the nebulous membrane of dirty cloud cover, bearing down on the unit. Three points of light fired from the ground, hitting the enemy vessels. The ships burst, and debris rained into the gorge. Sams have eliminated the Atmos assault threat, Rex reported. Let's get this done, Sergeant. Surprise wears off fast on these bastards, and we need these bodies back on their feet. MR3 has intel that the enemy is preparing for a big push at Florida City and has moved resources south. So, this should be a shake and bake. They followed the old road to the remains of the bridge at the edge of the gorge. Several proximity warnings flashed across his visor. It still surprises me how fast they can regroup, Magnus said. They think as one, Rex said, training his weapon into the mist rising out of the hole. The ground trembled and a snowbank collapsed down the side. Then a mass of liquid flowed over the side, quickly overwhelming their position. The biological and mechanical morphology of the mercurial wave possessed no real shape, either drops of water or a stream depending on its nature. The enemy held no regular shape, morphing its morphology to the specific needs of melee. The aliens screeched, not a voice, but the natural sound of their technology in motion. Our dead all chewed up and then turned against us, turned against themselves, Rex said. Hell. Magnus discharged his Cleo, and violet tapers cut through the ashy mist. Purple beams shone through the fog down the line, and the shooting stars mowed down the first wave. Several reapers got through, overwhelming the perimeter. Magnus's HUD noted the casualties, all marked for retrieval, not his job. They had to get the EVP in place, or they'd all be marked for retrieval. Get me there, damn you! Rex yelled. His Cleo anticipated the change in strategy and activated cannon mode. They moved forward, watching every swirl of ash flinching at each flake of snow. Fog wafted out of the gorge and blinded their sensors. They had no way of predicting enemy intentions. The Reaper could attack with full mass or a single entity could divide, forming several smaller units and surrounding you before you knew it. A silver tentacle lashed out, 
and they dodged the whip, then fired, pushing the creature back. Seth peeled off a charge from his back, primed it for three seconds, then tossed the cylinder at the ground in front of their opponent. It flashed, and the reaper staggered, wobbling to the side. The blob sloughed off three offspring, and bubbles rolled forward, forming tendrils. Just then, a soldier in old tech emerged from behind and charged the fray. The twitchy soldier cradled several armed charges and sounded his barbaric yawp, ramming the enemy. Magnus recognized the soldier from the earlier briefing, the forty who'd given him the patch. He's popping, Magnus yelled. The mad soldier ran into the reapers, then evaporated in a flash of light, disrupting Magnus's visor. When the glare cleared, no enemy obstructed their path. Treason, Rex said. All that experience gone. A humanoid appeared in the smog, not an enemy blob or even an armored suit. The Lady of the Mists pranced slowly on bare feet and appeared to Magnus holding a blue fabric flower. Sarah? He checked his HUD and the scanner claimed she didn't exist. I need you to come home, my husband, she said, placing the flower in her long golden hair. Snap out of it, Marine. Rex smacked the back of his helmet. Several points of light hit the cloud, then detonated, sending shockwaves into the field. Way too close. An enemy ship broke up over their heads, pelting them with wreckage. Wait to see where it goes, Rex yelled, grabbing his arm. His visor showed possible trajectories, and several larger pieces hit the ground, digging trails into the frozen earth. Two chunks came right down on top of them, and they jumped. His suit sounded warning toxins, and Magnus felt the force of the last piece of fuselage narrowly missing him and smashing into one of the abandoned vehicles. The debris animated and raced for the target. Move! Magnus ran point, firing while Rex shot at his flanks. Other soldiers yelled updates over the comm. EMP-2 ready. EMP-3 ready. Let's get this done, Rex yelled. You're making me look bad. Enemy is landing reinforcements. ETA, four minutes. Where the hell did they come from? They adapted, Rex said. The two reached the target site at the edge of the broken bridge, and Magnus guarded the zone of broken concrete and steel. Here they come! Where the hell is that EMP? Commander Rex! The crashed alien moved fast on them, attaching in one great mass. Several tendrils projected from its bulbous body and whipped the air, licking for them. A woman's voice cried over his calm, and the battle melted away. The symphony of war played in the distance, just at the edge of Kiering, Magnus Nine looked around, seeing a dirty hovel with a few sticks of furniture. They had nothing but each other, and he'd been drafted, taken by the hated soldiers. Sarah Claude held back. He had to help her, get back to her, keep his vows as a husband. Snap out of it, Rex yelled in the distance. I have to find her, he said. Rex kicked him, knocked him back into a pile of rubble, ending his delusion. His mind wrestled for reality, and he looked around at the battlefield in confusion, needing a few moments to anchor himself. The Reaper had attacked their position, and he just stood there, made vulnerable by his hallucination. A tendril lashed at his torso, scratching his armor. Another tendril grabbed Rex, lifting up his CO and squeezing him. Sparks fired off cracks in Rex's mech, leaking a stew of blood and lubricant. Rex primed a charge and issued his final command. Finish this! 
Rex's life signs terminated. Magnus threw himself behind the apple just as the charge detonated. The shockwave hit him, knocking his sensors offline. His bones ached, and it took a moment for systems to come back online. We need that EMP now! A fresh mass of enemy targets flooded down on his unit. We need to withdraw! His unit started losing their nerves. We can't, said Magnus to his unit. If this line crumbles, the city will fall. Several reapers rolled at him. Magnus struggled against his damaged suit to get up. Cracks in his armor leaked oily blood and sparked. He crawled toward the EVP device. He'd never make it in time like this, and the system had no wireless interface. They couldn't chance any remote access. The apple waited in ready mode. If he couldn't get to it, the wave would attack the settlement and take Sarah. All he had left was his Hail Mary, though the chemical infusion could burn out your heart. We've got to retreat. It's over. No, Magnus yelled. He activated his last resort. Immediately, temporary strength renewed him. Euphoria from painkillers filled his head, sending him spinning. His muscles toughened, and he leapt from his position, using the few seconds that the chemical window allowed. He reached the apple at the same time as the enemy. The Reaper opened its jaws to chomp down on Magnus just as he activated the EMP. It went online and signaled the other two strategically seated EMPs. The capacitor whistled, charging up, and Sans' noise or flash then released a wave of crippling electromagnetic energy. The enemy liquefied, spilling silver blood onto the ashy ground. Simultaneously, his suit shut down, going into safe mode. The chemicals evacuated his system, and he collapsed at the base of the bridge immersed in the metallic flood. His ribs ached and his left leg throbbed. Nausea overwhelmed him, and he had to focus to not vomit in his mask. He almost took it off, but resisted, compelled by his training. You never took off the mask, not even to sleep. He gazed up at the orient moon, glowing through the dawn haze, and wondered if he'd be evacuated, if he'd ever see her again. At least, Magnus knew his wife was safe, for now, until the enemy would overwhelm their defenses and harvest the last of humanity. They could only delay it. He blacked out. Come find me, my husband. Sarah's voice called through the fog, bringing him back. Her arms wrapped around his shoulders, and her bare chest pressed against his sans armor, sans war, only life and peace. She rocked his body to and fro on their frayed rope bed, and he would have stayed forever rocking back and forth. They always made love in the mornings before going to work in hydroponics. She reached to touch his face, but her fingers fumbled, unable to caress his cheek. They've stolen your face. She rocked him to and fro. The rocking of the evacuation transport dragged Magnus back to consciousness. His legs ached, and each sway of the rushing vehicle inflicted agony on his jaw. He reached to check the wound and touched his mask through his gauntlet. The Iron Maiden suffocated the wounded soldier, and Magnus grabbed at the edges of the plate, feeling for the seals. He tried to pry off the mask, and his visor flashed warnings. Warning, never remove your mask. He relaxed back onto the stretcher and looked up at the sky through the skylights on the casualty transport, heading back for his tenth round of sick leave. The nebulous shroud had thinned, revealing the raw face of the moon. 
In the past, a time of abandon when his careless species warmed the planet, his people had lived on that barren satellite. Then his people made war upon themselves, and the war brought famine, disease. During this dark time, the invaders fell from the sky, attacking the moon first and building a base on the human remains. The enemy never surrendered, feeding on the inaccessible resources of the inner solar system, but needing the advanced biology of humans to supply workers and soldiers. The reapers harvested men like corn grown in the underground hydroponic tanks. They fed upon human biology like a wolf eating sheep. Did the aliens understand they murdered? They never stopped, and no one had ever been successful in negotiations. Command had tried, but they had no means to even talk to the aliens. So different were they. The human species could only maintain a stalemate against the soulless machines, protect the few remaining cities, and hope for victory by attrition. The transport docked and medical techs marked by slender blue armor lifted him into the bay of an underground bunker attached to the city. The mechanized techs carried Magnus to one of the triage labs and inserted him into a diagnostic slot. A multi-armed carousel lowered from the bright ceiling, then prodded his armor, assessing the damage. Didn't we just put you back in the field, my son? A familiar voice greeted him. An old man hobbled into the chamber, leaning on a cane to support his left leg. Several black chips fused into his bald head, and he pulled back the torn sleeve of his white lab coat, checking his arm terminal. No obvious damage from the chemical booster, though I wouldn't try that again. My commander, Rex, Magnus said, I got distracted. It's my fault. At that moment, Rex stepped into the chamber, wearing pristine armor. Saw, he said to the doctor, am I cleared to return to my unit? No one remembered the doctor's real name, so they just called him Sawbones. All shipshape in Bristol fashion, the doctor said. Brand new. See you on the line soon, Magnus. Rex saluted, then left, returning to battle, ever and ever. You're a miracle worker, Doc, Magnus said, sighing in relief. I swore he was KIA. Wasn't your fault, my son, Saw said. Command cocked up the intel. Reapers dropped a wave of bloody reserves before you could deploy your apples. But don't be so hard on Command Boyo. The alien AI adapts instantly, sharing tactical information at quantum speed. That's why we need to keep you old vets sticking. EM pulses and battlefield experience is all we got. Saw lit the chamber, revealing a lab in the back. Reaper remains bubbled in an isolation tank, and a single azure gem flashed at its heart. It looked like the mind of his weapon, the memory device that studied Magnus, recording each battle to improve its response times. I don't care for your other patient, Magnus said. No, your enemy, Saw said, probing at Magnus's knee. We're always testing a few of their disabled. We've learned a few things. This intrigued Magnus. And what do you know? A lot of theories. As far as we can tell, their mind is just an advanced neurological network. Saw detached a plate from his leg and regenerated the bone with another device. If we can crack the code, we might be able to understand our enemy better. The programming is just more advanced than anything we can program. Similar to patterns in the brain. Is it alive? There is some theological debate in the command about that. 
but they're daft to think otherwise. This code wasn't written, it evolved. Knowing that, we can understand how they think. We might even be able to communicate if we can write a program advanced enough to handshake with it. How can you understand an alien program? You see, my son, that's the beauty of it. The laws of physics are the same anywhere you go in the cosmos. We're all living under the same umbrella. Electrons work the same way here or on Alpha Centauri. So does logic. Same with the periodic table of elements. All born out of the same stars. We've already turned some of their tech against them. Your Cleo. Its nerve center was harvested from the harvesters. Through it, we preserve your experience. You plugged alien crap into my head? Without it, you would have been dead on the battlefield lifetimes ago, Saw said. We all have to make sacrifices to survive. Magnus contained his rage. Logically, he understood, but still it violated him. Saw reattached the leg armor. There, your wounds have been cauterized. I still have work to do on your torso, though. Another hour, and your body will be ship-shape in Bristol fashion. However, your mech telemetry shows you froze up during the mission. But I can't find a technological reason. What's been going on in that ad of yours? Magnus ruminated over telling him. Command trained them to not allow themselves to be distracted by civilian concerns. Because of this recent obsession, he'd nearly let the unit down, lost the battle, opening up the city to invasion. Harvesting. He didn't know whom to trust, and his wife was still in trouble. He knew he had to find a way to reach her, but communications with the city were not allowed at his level. You can trust me, Magnus, more than you know. My wife's in danger, but I don't know why. I've only got flashes of memory. They're intense, like someone shooting me in the head with a shotgun. Funny, Saw said, checking his arm terminal. According to the records, you don't have a wife. I know I have, Magnus said, so certain. He felt her missing like a reaper had sliced out his heart. My records have been wrong before. There is a war on, after all. However, I've repaired you all nine times you've been wounded, and you've never mentioned a blushing bride. Distraction will lose the battle, Magnus said. Saw scanned him with a sensor tied to his arm terminal, then nodded. Now I see it, he said. You're bleeding. But you cauterized my wounds. I'd like to do a brain scan, Saw said, disregarding Magnus. Saw's voice changed, breaking eye contact. Magnus's visor detected an accelerated heart rate and stimulation of his adrenal glands. Power down to safe mode. Be calm. I'll only need to restrain you a short time. Why do you need to restrain me? Your armor can respond to impulses from your brain while you're unconscious. Don't worry, won't tickle. Are you still ticklish, my son? A hydraulic arm lowered from the ceiling and clawed Magnus's shoulder, just like the guard had in his inchoate memory. More memories flooded back. Sarah was screaming. Guards dragged him out of their hovel, and he looked up to see a clock tower with his own eyes, not the sensors of his helmet. The broken clock had frozen at twelve. Now I'm just going to use this alpha wave generator to put you to bed. When you wake, these memories will trouble you no longer. Magnus wrestled with the robotic arm and struggled to emancipate himself from the medical bay. 
saw it touch the probe to his temple, and Magnus got drowsy. He kicked against the wall, and the arm holding him cracked. Magnus tore himself from the slot, ripping several tubes and cables. Alarms in the lab sounded. Magnus, you don't understand. This is for your own good. For all our good, we're losing this war. Magnus, pushed by the flustered old man, found his Cleo on a workbench and secured it to his armor, powering up its crystalline source. You've always been good to me, Saw. I don't want to hurt you, but I've got to find her. Magnus summoned the compound layout and traced a path through the service tunnels into the settlement. Don't go into the city, Magnus, Saw said. They hate you there. Magnus grabbed the Alpha Wand, knocked Saw out, then transferred the internal scanners to his HUD, tracking the guards. He deactivated his own beacon and headed for the service tunnels. His chest ached, and he had to pause and rest at regular intervals. Finally, he reached a ladder leading 50 meters up to a hatch. He climbed up to an alley and sealed the hatch behind him. He had to find Sarah, but struggled with fractured memories, not sure where to look. He stumbled through the back avenues behind the derelict buildings and makeshift tents, searching for the clock tower. There could only be so many frozen at twelve, though he worried its face lied. Magnus clung to the shadows shed from the senile structures of the old city. He slipped through the alleys and streets, hiding like a rabbit behind broken gravestones. Not easy when wearing battle mech. He couldn't just blend into city life. He'd heard the stories about what command did to deserters. A special team of neurosurgeons rewired their brain, creating automatons meant for grunt work. Magnus had often wondered if that's what had become of many of the higher-issue soldiers. He turned a corner, coming out behind some dumpsters. His visor warned of approaching city guard, and he ducked below the bins, powering down his suit until the guard passed. He wandered the labyrinth of the broken city until night. The energy shield around the city glowed green in the dark, an emerald veil shimmering above, protecting and imprisoning them. The umbrella had torn in places, rippling where the energy emitters no longer functioned at full capacity. The reapers might have been able to break through a weak point with a full assault. Magnus searched the city several times, circling back to what used to be the docks. Landfill buried the old riverbed, and civvies lived in rusted ships. Magnus strained his fractured memories, searching for a familiar setting. He could remember the boats, though the riverbed ran the course of the settlement. Exhausted, he finally stopped to rest and leaned against the broken wall of a church. Human flyers patrolled the airspace above the dome, driving back the occasional reaper trying to overload the defense grid. Sometimes a bomber got through and pulverized sections of the broken city. He wondered if the clock tower had been damaged since he'd last seen it and scanned the shattered city face. His scanner reconstructed this area of the settlement, and he recognized the temple. His subconscious mind must have led him here once he'd started wandering. Magnus dug through debris and discovered the familiar clock face, still locked at midnight. He picked it up and traced his fingers over the numbers. Sarah had to be close, or at least some trace of her. Magnus got to his feet, dropping the heavy visage of the chronometer, and walked to the first hovel that felt familiar. He recognized the chipped white paint and the broken hinge in the door, 
He'd come home. He was sure of it, and he turned the latch, recognizing the creaky noise. A wave of anxiety washed over him, and he longed for a nick patch. An emaciated and shaking woman huddled over a meager fire in the corner. She sucked tea from a cracked mug. Greasy rags draped over her bones, yet red curls poured from the cowl, red curls that fell over his face when they'd rolled in bed together, finding sanctuary from the endless war until the soldiers had come. Sarah, he said, self-conscious about his voice modulation. He suddenly felt ashamed, naked somehow in the armor. She looked up, fixed him with a look of bloody rage, and grabbed a bread knife. You killed him! She lunged at him with the knife, but his armor deflected it. Magnus gently grabbed her arm, careful not to harm her, and took her knife. She collapsed into the wall, fell to her knees, and sobbed. He knelt down next to her and started to talk. But a sector alert on his HUD interrupted him. The enemy must have been probing urban defenses again, and it would blow over. Sarah, he whispered, I'm here. You can't be, she said, clawing at the clumps of cracked concrete and dirt. I'm sorry I ever left you, but I'm done with the war. We're just going to go. I'll steal a transport, and once we're outside... Distant explosions rocked the ruins, shaking the ground. Several enemy contacts lit up his HUD, but he didn't worry. Local forces could still easily turn them away. His visor reported a city alert. It would make their escape harder, but he could use the chaos to slip through. We have to go now. Get up. You stupid man, she said, melting onto the floor, sapped of will. The soldiers took my husband. I know. I'm so sorry I left you, but I can make it right. The several contacts on his scanner morphed into a flood, a full assault on the city. Command had been wrong about Florida. The reapers came to reap, and they would eat. I love you, Sarah. We have to go. I'll never leave you again. You're not him. She cackled and laughed. Her back shook, and she just lay on the dirt and giggled. Just a machine. No one survives the draft. We're just pigs to you, only to be slaughtered. What are you talking about? All I could think about was the scent of the sweet tea on your breath. We'd make love in the mornings before working in hydroponics. There was a mirror over the bed on that wall. He looked for it and found an empty frame hanging from twine. It must have broken. I am your husband. She looked up and wiped the sobs from her eyes, gazing at him, trying to discern through the mask. It can't be. She touched his mask, and it nearly broke him that he couldn't feel her skin. No, the machine. I'm Magnus, not a machine. He grabbed her hand in his gauntlet. Something snapped in her, and she laughed again, screamed and laughed, driving his audio sensors to their limits. What is it? he begged. Seth was my husband. The name sounded familiar to him. Maybe his middle name? He didn't have a middle name. A shell's gone off in my head. He trembled, and his thoughts raced, as if responding to their insanity. The ground shook, and the boom of artillery deafened. Sarah, we can figure this out later. We have to get to a shelter. He looked out the window, checking to see if the road was clear. At that moment, the glimmering dome flickered, then fizzled out. 
darkening the settlement. They've broken through the lines. We've got to get out of the city. You're sick, soldier, she said. Maybe they did something to you, Magna said. Your mind's not right. If you're really him, then take off the mask. Show me. We have to go, he yelled. Your life is a lie. They lie to us, to you. Control. See your true face. I'll show you, he said. Then we have to go. Magnus deactivated the locks, disengaging the warning systems. The locks hissed and the faceplate fell into his hand. Cold air clotted his face and a rank odor of excrement and burning meat assaulted his nose. His eyes adjusted to the poor light. You see, I'm home. She turned away and wept. He didn't understand. Sarah, you're broken, she said. No one survives the draft. Look, then leave. Just get out. She grabbed a broken mirror shard from under the bed, a piece left over from the quicksilver he remembered. It cut into her hand, and blood dripped down her palms. She held its flat side up to show him. Is this your face? I don't understand. He didn't recognize the blue eyes or blonde hair. His cheeks curved differently, and the line of his jaw was not the one his father had given him. Magnus did not recognize the man he saw before him. You don't deserve his face. She attacked him, clawing at his eyes. He held her back, needing a moment to understand. Sarah aimed for his neck, catching him off guard. The edge cut his skin, and at that moment the roof collapsed. A reaper arm crashed through and harvested Sarah like it was picking strawberries. It plucked her from the hovel, then pulled her into a ship hovering over the city block. The mercurial skin on the vessel sealed up, smacking its lips. Magnus ran out of the hovel, aimed his Cleo, and fired at the silver mass. The energy beams merely sent ripples through the mercurial hull. Several tendrils emerged from its base that plucked other humans from their hovels, ignoring the limited retaliation from the guards. Gun and artillery fire erupted from other quadrants. Air defense exploded in the night, useless against the massive enemy ships. He'd never seen their like before, and they flew row by row, gathering from the civilian larder. Humans ran through the streets, trying to evade the silver arms. A bald man in a white coat approached his position, accompanied by a unit of city guard. Don't come any closer, Magnus said, and aimed his Cleo. Magnus, stop. Sawbones scanned him. The Reapers have my wife. You know what they're going to do to her. You have to come with us, Saw said. You're bleeding. You're mine. You lied. Did this to me. Somehow slashed my memories and hers. No, my son, Saw said. I'd never hurt you. I just need you safe. Why should I trust you? Several arms raked at the earth. One of them struck Magnus in the back, knocking him over. He lost his grip on his weapon. Because you're not my son, the old doc said. I'm yours. One of the soldiers shot Magnus in the neck with an anesthetic round they used in crowd control. I don't have a son, Magnus said as he fell asleep. Because I took him from you. Magnus woke and reached for his weapon, but restraints locked him into a sarcophagus. He searched his surroundings, looking for his weapon. 
Several niches, like his, cut into a circular wall. White fibers wove through his slot and fed into his bare back, arms, and chest. He'd been removed from his suit and shivered in the chilly air of the lab. A claw clamped his neck. Tubes dangled from his chest. His head spun, and he tried to focus on his environment. The fumes of industrial cleansers wafted off the sterile surfaces, burning the back of his throat. Medical technicians moved about the chamber wearing cowls and sterile masks, attending to the machinery. Let me go, he yelled, still feeling groggy. The room spun. The techs ignored him. They took sedated men and women from stasis tubes, plugged them into chambers, then connected them to a spherical device spun of protean metal. The globe shivered and growled at each connection, shimmering azure, much like the alien technology that powered his Clio. Another team carried in a wounded soldier, peeled away his armor, then connected him to the device. The room trembled and the lights dimmed. He heard soldiers yelling orders and the distant sound of artillery blasts. The lights dim, and he heard a generator start. Sarah's cries haunted him. The hatred she felt for him stabbed Magnus deeper than any Reaper tendril ever had. Command had done something terrible to them all, messing with their minds. He no longer knew what to believe. Release me, he yelled into the chamber of horrors and struggled against the restraints. Show yourself, Doc. You're going to harm yourself. Saw said, walking over while reviewing his arm computer. Another explosion rocked the chamber from above. Are you going to wipe my mind now? That's what you do to deserters, isn't it? This isn't your fault, Magnus, Saw said. I checked the computer log on your transference. The translation protocols had gaps, and a few fish got through the net. I should have seen it, but we're short-staffed. Dad, I'm amazed you didn't burn out. Who am I? Magnus said, What did you do to us? You already know, Saw said. You just can't accept it yet. Sarah would have known her husband. A terrible reality dawned on Magnus, far more horrible than anything the enemy had done. What if he wasn't really her husband? Did it matter? The love was real, and the enemy had taken her to use her. He had to find her. If not for the man he'd been then to honor the man he had stolen. You know better than the Reapers. We're fighting an enemy that shares every memory, every iota of battle experience. It operates as a single mind. Every time we suffered casualty, they got smarter. And we lost valuable time training green troops. We can match them in resources, even in numbers, but they... It never dies. It just gets better at killing us. I'm going to hell, but I sacrificed my soul for our survival, to keep my father safe. I love her, but I don't really remember her. Soldiers give up any semblance of a normal life. No shore leave, no family life, only the fight. Civilians breed under military protection, and when we take casualties, we are forced to draft the bodies of healthy adults. The Matrix in your mech does more than just learn. It keeps a constant holographic paradigm of your consciousness. We don't understand its nuances, but we can download it for a short time, then upload it again. We deserve extinction, he whispered. 
The translation matrix has to be specifically calibrated between you and your host. Some of the host remained. His name was Seth, Magnus said. I don't want to know their names, Saw said, working on his terminal. An alarm sounded and the room shook again. We'll have to download you into a new host. We need every soldier we got out there. The text delivered fresh meat. A boy with his whole life ahead of him. He slept peacefully, unaware. How are we different than the enemy? We're not that different, not anymore. Our generation will bear the burden of guilt. But what will the next generation become? The Reapers take our flesh and make their soldiers. We do the same. They inserted the young man into the empty chamber attached to his. Will I remember Sarah? Magnus asked. Best that you don't. It'll save you pain. And we can't have you distracted. I feel the love. You can't take that away from me. Maybe, Saw said. But you won't remember, Father. It's just a bunch of patterns and equations. They can be deleted. You don't remember me. No, I don't. He knew his son was right. What was his mind but a matrix of electrical impulses no different than an artificial intelligence? He could be disassembled, deleted, reprogrammed without the burden of a soul to impede command. Victory at all costs. Did the enemy believe this? Did the AI have a soul to protect? Perhaps this is how it started. No different than humans, individuals making sacrifices, constantly pushing back the line. He looked around and couldn't tell the difference anymore. The order to evacuate sounded over the intercom. We're about to lose the settlement, Saw said, checking his systems. Do you have EVPs? Magnus asked. Can't use them here. Too many minds undergoing transference. We've got to hold. This is all alien tech? It's time to sleep, father. We need all our troops out there fighting. I just need to hack your mental matrix, but I don't have time to do the full grid. A lot of this is guesswork. The human mind is far more complex than anything we can program. Like the enemy AI? Magnus asked. You've been trying to hack the enemy's mind with a program, but they're far too complex. Organic? By now, the aliens had devoured Sarah, but perhaps she still existed somewhere inside them. Magnus could still reach her. We're going to try a new program based on a recursive Use Me, Magnus said. Use you? Saw asked. If you can download me into a new body, why can't you download me into their mind? I'm just a complex program, right? A light flashed in the doctor's eyes. Sawbones ceased the transference and ran several projections on his arm unit. He lost himself in the numbers. Probabilities, yes. There is a basis, an underlying paradigm to their core programming and yours. They really could have been like us once. I was so lost in the science, I didn't see it. He looked up. All under the same cosmic umbrella? Magnus said. I doubt it'll work. They'll just purge you as a virus. And what would you do even if you got there? What's the objective? We've been trying to infiltrate their central intelligence node and find the command centers that drive their program. We've never gotten close. It's been like throwing a pebble into the ocean. The aliens just ignore our probes. No, this can't work. Saw. Julian. I remember now, son. We can't go on like this. I can do something in there. I don't want to lose you, his son said. 
At least in this body, there's something left for you. There won't be anything of anyone left if we don't try. Even if we win the war, we lose our souls. He sighed. I'm interfacing your paradigm into one of the active alien minds that we're researching here at the base. It's going to be a hell of a ride. Son, Magnus said, Julian, one thing? Anything, father. Do you have a nick patch? Yes, father. Julian attached the patch to his shoulder, and Magnus enjoyed the smooth sensation that spread through his chest. Into Valhalla, then? Goodbye. Wild spectrums flashed before Magnus's eyes. Agony ripped through his body, and the machine shredded him, ripping him from the flesh. Then it flushed him down rivers of signal. For a moment, before Magnus lost consciousness, he saw all the stars. He became the universe. Father was the machine. The machine was mother. DNA and mental equations spun tree branches and leaves that grew to electron suns shining over the world of the reapers. No, not reapers. Just life. Matter transformed into energy. Water evaporated into fog. Magnus felt himself dissipating into gas and forming an equation with his molecules. All lived mathematics, if broken down into basic form. Going forward formed evolution, not back. He heard her voice, an echo. Sarah. The battlefield materialized around him. He ran forward, a part of his unit, firing the Cleo attached to his arm. His recent history remembered in Kuwait, and he knew he had to fight, to kill, to drill through the enemy. This was the purpose of Magnus, but still he remembered her, his Sarah, his love, but not his. Always his. A cornfield grew from the black soil before him, the leaves entwined, mixing and dancing in a network of green leaves. Magnus sensed his nexus, a connection he had never known among his mortal and humankind. This was the other place. He'd made it. Shells exploded at his six, and the shockwave threw him back. Magnus searched the train. He didn't wear his armor, his visor, and the elements assaulted the vulnerable human, the man of soft flesh and organs. He ran through the cornfield, dodging the shells, until he reached a river and paused, looking into the reflective waters. A million faces looked back floating to the surface like bubbles, then bursting into song when they hit the air. Magnus watched the waters, seeing memories, a planet like Earth, slowly dying as its sun expanded to swallow the sky. A ship launched with the minds of its people and flew deep into space. It slept for centuries until it found his world. The minds had evolved, connecting, merging over the eons, and when they reached his world, the souls sought bodies weaving their shells from technology and flesh. This transformation corrupted their understanding. I just want to talk, he said. The faces in the river ignored him. We're both dying. It doesn't have to be this way. No response. He could hear Sarah's voice. Find me. She wandered lost in their ethereal wilderness. He reached his hand into the water and electricity surged through his body. The faces kept singing. Minds of people taken, flowing into this river. However, they never spoke back. Only recordings of themselves, echoes. The aliens ignored them or didn't recognize them. How could he reach them? The current nearly tore him about. Magnus braced himself, 
holding on to Sarah, staying in the moment. He smelled her sweet tea breath, felt her hands on his back. Finally, his mind and the wave found balance. The river spoke to him with memories. What had he learned? We are our memories. He focused on the water, talking with his mind. I'll show you. He tried to show them his love, pushing through his visions into the water. The fluid flowed around his arm, distorting his flesh, and he flowed back into the water. Around him, the kernels of corn swelled and dropped to the soil. Each kernel grew, taking humanoid form, limbs, a head bearing two large black eyes that watched him. What are you? it asked. I'm human. You're killing us. Please stop killing us. We're all dying. There is nothing we recognize as sentient on this planet. That is what we thought about you. You were just soulless machines. But then I believed I was a soulless machine. Irrelevant. We must live. Take a moment. Stop killing us. We can help each other survive. Did you ever love as I have loved? You are not real. Nor was that love, but it changed me. Help bring me back. I was just a killing machine. Then I had a family again. I am a father. Don't take that. We are a family. The alien construct paused for what felt like a thousand years. Inside the neural net, time flowed differently. Then it showed him the physical world. Magnus watched in the river a vision of the city, of all the remaining human cities. The Reapers ceased their attacks, stopping their war. It wasn't peace, merely a ceasefire. But now they had a chance to maybe build a bridge. Why should we trust you? Because I have an honest face. We pause our preparations, but we must have proof of your sentience. I suffer. Our species have evolved the ability through technology to share our minds, see into mine, the dark places, the chasms, find her, Sarah. In a moment, she materialized into view. This other one wounds you. We live, we love, and it is agony. We have lost too. We have lost so much. We can share that. In this... We are the same. And there you go. Big thank you to T Fox Dunham. Uh- Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And to Brian. Brian, what can I say? Please, that's just fantastic. What a great combination. Thank you so much indeed. So, like I said before, it is... It's our very own Amy H. Sturgis. Ames! Hello, my friends. It is time for another look back into genre history. You may recall that a while ago I mentioned that I wanted to put more of a focus on world SF, and today is the start of that. Uh, When I do segments on World SF, I'll be looking at the history of World SF and also particular works that are of historical significance in World SF. I just want to look at some SF in translation and broaden the scope a bit. And I'm really excited about the fact that there are so many works now being translated into English, being made more available to readers like me. And I want to point out, before I get started here, a really great resource. Rachel S. Cordasco is a translator herself. Uh, she translates Italian speculative fiction. And she has a site called sfintranslation.com. And she's keeping up with the latest works from around the world that are being translated into English. You can also find her updates on Twitter. She's at R. Cordas, R-C-O-R-D-A-S. And she's just begun a podcast as part of the Skiffy and Fanti show. Uh, if you subscribe to Skiffy and Fanti or go look at Skiffy and Fanti on iTunes or wherever you access your podcasts, you'll find that there are now standalone episodes called SF in Translation. This just began in 2018. There's only a handful of episodes thus far, so it's very easy to catch up. But she covers every month what's coming out in the next month in World SF that has been translated or is being translated into English. And she has some great interviews as well. So just FYI, I want to give a shout out uh, to Rachel and a thanks to her for the work she's doing on behalf of SF in Translation. It is thanks to Rachel's list, in fact, that I found the book I want to talk about today, and it is so good. I've been so excited about talking about this book. Uh, It is one of the best books I have read in ages, and that's saying something because I am on a streak right now. I have read some fantastic books. In fact, I should probably throw out a few wrecks. Um, the Marrow Thieves by Cherie Dimeline, An Excess Male by Maggie Shen King, and The Poppy War by R.F. Kuang. All three fantastic, all three published either in 2017 or 2018. Wonderful stuff. But today I want to talk about a remarkable work of SF in translation. And that is The Invisible Valley by Sue Wei, translated by Austin Warner. 
This just came out in 2018 from Small Beer Press. It is the first English translation, not only of *The Invisible Valley*, but of any work by Su Wei. Now, Su Wei is a modern master of Chinese fiction. And I should also give another shout out real quickly, and that is to my good friend Dr. Melody Lee of the University of Houston, who has done work on Suwei and helped me appreciate just how important he is. Not only is Suwei an important writer, but *The Invisible Valley* is received tremendous praise by those in the know in Chinese literary circles. It was written in Chinese. Over a period of time from 1993 to 1998, and 20 years later, we have it in English. Su Wei actually left China in 1989, and since 1997, he has taught Chinese language and literature at Yale University. Chinese English literary translator Austin Warner spent years on this project. It really shows. It's a Beautiful translation, and consulted with Suwei, became friends with Suwei, and even traveled to the remote location where the novel is set in order to get a better sense of the context and setting of the story. So, what is the story about? I'm so glad you asked. It is about a character named Lu Beiping. He is one of twenty million young adults. That the Chinese government uproots from the cities and sends away for agricultural re-education during Mao's Cultural Revolution. This part is actually based on Su Wei's personal experience. It's autobiographical. The character Lu Beiping is sent down to the mountains of the tropical Hainan Island to labor on a rubber plantation. And in a way, the Invisible Valley is a coming-of-age story, as Lu Beiping becomes a man. And like many very powerful coming-of-age stories, the character is taken out of his comfort zone. But in this case, Lu Beiping doesn't just have to learn one new world; he really has to learn four. One very rooted in Chinese cultural experience is the. Maoist work camp, as these young people from all over are thrust into both hard labor and also the intensely political, ideological world of this communist re-education. How do they prove their loyalty to Maoist principles? How do they vie for better conditions and more power? And more self-determination, and how all the the petty jealousies and the attempts to maneuver for position, party membership, which brings with it its own privilege, all of these things play out. But while the work camp is kind of its own little world, there's also another world there, and that is the local world of the villagers in Hainan. They have been. For a long time, quite isolated, they are now sort of in control. The foreman is one of these villagers, the foreman of the work camp, and these rural villagers in this remote, insular place have developed their own culture, their own folkways, their own 
traditions and habits and practices. And Liu Beibing quickly becomes caught, captured by these local ways. He's essentially part tricked and part drafted into a local ceremony with the foreman, and he can't really say no to the foreman. And ultimately discovers、uh, that he has been ghost married. In fact, he has been married to the foreman's long dead daughter, so that her soul may rest. This is a local custom, but it is binding, and it puts Liu Beiping in a kind of A gray area, because he is both a youth sent down for reeducation, but he's also now the foreman's son-in-law, because he has been quote unquote married to the foreman's dead daughter. There are multiple ways this haunting work can be read as speculative fiction, and here's one of them. In a sense, it is a gothic story, a gothic mystery, because part of the unraveling,、uh, unfolding of the tale is Liu Beiping's relationship, if you will, with the dead young woman, and his investigation into the mysterious and troubling way. That she died. So those are two worlds that Liu Beiping has to navigate: the world of the work camp and this local villager's world. He ultimately gets exiled up the mountain. He does not mind this at all. He is put in charge of the work camp's herd of cows. The cattle are housed and grazed in the mountains in order to then harvest their manure. To nourish the rubber trees, so the third world he has to navigate is the world of the mountains and the valleys. He is in many ways utterly alone, and the setting, nature itself, is a major character in this work. And here you get some really interesting science fiction, if you will. In these mountains and their valleys, you have a unique microclimate. You have brutal localized storms and flash floods. You have strange features of valleys that seem to exist one day and disappear the next,、uh, in part because of the fast-growing. Fungus,、uh, mushrooms that grow huge and then explode and end up creating sort of miasmal clouds of spores, and Liu Beiping's attempts to survive and thrive in this alien landscape, this mercurial and sometimes treacherous environment, and the mysteries created by this very localized and Fantastically unusual setting. All of these factors together create a very compelling story. In a way, while I was reading this book, I thought of lost world tales, and certainly in the natural environment there in the mountains and valleys, Liu Beiping has this sense of being in a place very few human beings had seen or touched. This sort of primeval landscape. And how threatened it was by Chairman Mao's sense of being at war with nature and needing to tame nature. And the last world, the fourth world that he has to navigate, is in itself a kind of lost world. He meets living 
as outcasts in this incredibly remote environment, a polyamorous family of woodcutters. They are led by a matriarch, Jade, and one of her lovers, Kingfisher, for a variety of political and economic and social reasons, all of the members of this group family have been exiled in one way or another, and they have found, created this little community on Mud Kettle Mountain. And Lu Beiping is drawn into this. It's almost the polar opposite of the kind of work camp environment. And the ironies there are many because here you have a little group of people who have chosen to come together and share with each other, and contrasting that with the coerced and violent uh, communist camp, and for that matter, regime, is a powerful statement by author Su Wei. The characters in this little community of drift folk are fascinating, and so is their influence on Lu Beiping. And I won't go into that terribly much because I only want to tease. I don't want to spoil. But yet another way this work is speculative fiction is that this polyamorous family living up here in the mountain has developed its own kind of eccentric, quasi-religious faith practice. And it revolves around placating what they believe is the serpent demon sleeping up in the mountains. They read signs and portents in the weather, and they see things like the miasmal clouds and uh, the rumbling from deep in the earth as signs of this great uh, dragon snake. And this great serpent is a character in its own right in the story. And whether this is a true Lost World story in which there are creatures that have not been glimpsed before, or at least in a very, very long time, uh, awakened in this primeval setting, or whether this is simply a way for these drift folk to understand and give some kind of order and rationality to the unique climactic conditions in which they live and to make some kind of peace with the life and death conditions they deal with every day. That's really left up to the reader, but there are hints that suggest one reading and then there are hints that suggest quite another reading. And the fact that there are no clear answers really connects to Lu Beiping's journey throughout the story of trying to understand what is real and what has been imposed on reality by outside systems of faith, be they religious or political. But if you are like me, this story will keep you turning pages until the very, very last moment. Ah, oh, so good! And you don't even have to take my word for it. SF author John Crowley has said, and I quote, pungent, funny, and mind-widening. Oh, that's perfect. That really sums it up. Austin Warner's translation is nearly invisible. It erases all barriers of strangeness and places the reader deep within a Chinese experience that comes to seem as familiar to us as our own daily round. 
if ours too had ghost brides and very big snakes. End quote. And with that, I celebrate a new moment in genre history: the first English translation of a work by Suwe, the first English translation of *The Invisible Valley*. And again, that is by Suwe, spelled S-U-W-E-I, translated by Austin Warner, published in 2018 by Small Beer Press. If you read it, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And I look forward to joining you again with something completely different as we take another look back into genre history. Thank you. Oh, Amy, what can I say? Oh, a big hug. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you. So that is show 544. Took up and put to bed. Oh, you enjoyed it. You know, do look after one period and just do have, a, like I say, a blast on the 4th of July if you celebrate that. If not, just go out and, you know, think of us in the World Cup. <laughs> That's what we're... Oh, dearie, dearie, dearie. Anyway, until next week, I'll either be crying in the gutter or joyful as we can be. And maybe I have... Actually, I haven't been stung yet, no. Oh, there's a bloody woman I shouldn't have said. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. I don't get out much. I've barely left the ground. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm Get out there, bye.